0: again the lord spoke to ahaz saying ask a sign of the lord your god let it be deep as sheol or high as heaven but ahaz said i will not ask and i will not put the lord to the test then isaiah said Hear then o house of david is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my god also therefore the lord himself will give you a sign look The young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days As have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Well, you heard in what Dr. Tankersley read for us from the Gospel of Matthew the connection to this passage in Isaiah. The key verse out of all of this that we just read is verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. And when we hear that, we think of Jesus and this baby's going to be born and we're ready to celebrate. But Isaiah was not thinking about Jesus. Isaiah was thinking about his people and his time. And he is asking them, almost demanding from them faith and hope in the face of struggle and conflict and despair. Isaiah wants them to believe that God is with them and will guide them. Isaiah is talking to his people and encouraging them to trust in God, to have hope in God. This conversation between King Ahaz and Isaiah is happening when Jerusalem is surrounded by some other nations. The northern tribes of Israel are at war with the Assyrians. They have created an alliance politically and militarily with another group and they've invited Jerusalem and Judah or the southern tribes to join them. King Ahaz and his people have decided they're not going to join. So the northern tribes decide to try to force them and so they descend south And surround Jerusalem and right now as we read this they're in the middle of some siege warfare their city is surrounded as we begin to read the early verses in chapter 7 we find out the attack is about to happen and King Ahaz and the people of Jerusalem are terrified God sends Isaiah to talk to the king and to tell him stand firm stay strong Do not fear, I am with you. But King Ahaz is not so sure. He fears that this might be the end. The end of him as king and the end of their nation. That's where we began to read this morning. In verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, this could be an act of humility on the king's part, saying he's not going to test God. But it could also be a lack of faith. And the king doesn't believe he can count on God. Isaiah seems to take it as the latter, thinking that this king doesn't trust God, has no confidence in God, is unwilling to listen to God. And so this section goes on. Isaiah is speaking and says, Hear then, Oh, house of David and in the text it's an exclamation point Isaiah is speaking with some force to the king and the court is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also in other words they're stammering and stuttering and uncertain what to do they're having discussions with one another trying to decide how to act and Isaiah says even in the face of an offer from God you're going to hesitate So he decides to go on. And he says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Isaiah is saying, You think this is the end. But I tell you, this is just the beginning. God is at work here, and you can see the sign in this baby, in this new life, about to be born. It's a beginning of things for us and our people that God wants to enact. And in fact, before this baby can even eat solid food, those kings you're worried about are going to be dead and gone, and their territory is going to be deserted. It will be all over by then. This is all happening around the year 734, 733 BCE, or before the common era, or before Christ's birth. Matthew's writing hundreds of years later to proclaim what he believes God has done in his life and the lives of those whom he knows. And it's important for us to remember that the Gospel of Matthew is written after the death and resurrection of Jesus, not before Jesus is born. Our best scholars tell us that Matthew's composed after the year 70, that is, after the Romans have descended upon Jerusalem and destroyed it. That's when Matthew is being written after The year 70 the author or authors are looking back trying to explain and proclaim what they have experienced in the life death and resurrection of Jesus what they've come to believe is true in Jesus is that God with us is that Jesus represents God with us you heard it As Dr. Tankersley read it to us over in Matthew, this proclamation, verse 18, chapter 1 of Matthew, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. And Matthew begins to tell us about Mary and Joseph and how they're betrothed. And and then Mary's pregnant, and Joseph questions the legitimacy of the pregnancy. He thinks he'll just back out of the whole thing. And then he has this dream a vision from God, a prophecy that all of this is of God and he needs to stay the course. And then Matthew writes in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. Now, when we look back, we can see that Matthew is reinterpreting the Isaiah material to proclaim his view that God has come to us in Jesus, that God continues to be alive and work in the world and is coming to us in Jesus We use the Bible and declare it to be a living document. That is a document through which God continues to speak to generation after generation. So when we begin to think about this, we realize what has happened. Isaiah has received this from God and uses it to proclaim God with us to his people in his time. And then Matthew uses it to proclaim God with us in his time. And then we use it during this Advent season to do the same. Generation after generation, faithful people proclaim that God is with us. You can see the same process in our Christmas Eve liturgy. If you've been here before, you might remember this, how the service closes, the closing benediction is a responsive reading. I will read. The Christmas candles will burn out. The carols will die away. And all the radiant, song-thrilled season will pass. And then you, the people, the congregation respond, but you alone, the eternal, remain. And you are enough. We are proclaiming God has come to us and will remain with us forever. The liturgy that night ends with this prayer. Remain, remain to each of us, O Christ of Bethlehem, more beautiful, more beloved, more real than any of the romance that clusters around your birthday it's a prayer asking God to remain with us that this experience this moment we have on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning remains real for us throughout the year that it's not a fleeting moment or a passing moment but a significant moment reminding us that God is coming to us we say that prayer that we can open this gift of hope believing indeed that god is with us ahaz back in isaiah is having trouble believing in god he's having trouble believing that god is with them even though isaiah continues to proclaim it and try to point out the signs has struggles to believe it it reminded me of a story about a golfer who wanted to get a hole-in-one I, I play a little golf not as often as I like but I saw the forecast and on Friday it said it was gonna be 60 degrees I said I better get out there on this nice warm afternoon But on noon Friday, it was 38 degrees and about a 20-mile-per-hour wind. I decided not great golf weather. I stayed here at the church. But this fellow who plays golf decided he wanted to get a hole-in-one. For those of you who are not golfers, that means that from where you begin to where you end on a certain hole, you only strike the ball once, that you're able to hit it. Far enough to land on the green, but not only land on the green, but hit it with such skill or luck and direction and trajectory that the ball actually hits where it's supposed to and then rolls right into this little cup. So you've made a hole in one stroke. Now, it does happen sometimes, but it's fairly rare. Some people play golf their whole lives and never get a hole in one. But this guy decides he can do it, so he begins to practice more and more. Then he begins to play more and more. He takes lessons from the professional at the golf course, so helping him do better, and he's convinced he can do it. But he tries and tries without success. He never can get that ball to go in the hole with just one stroke. One day, he gets so frustrated, he just stomps off the course. In his exasperation, he runs into the fellow who's the head professional. So he begins to tell him that this is a stupid game, and he's done with it, and never again. The pro listens calmly, and then when the fellow finishes, he says, well let me tell you this i cannot guarantee to you that if you continue to play you will ever get a hole in one but i can guarantee if you walk off the course today and never come back it is not ever going to happen you understand you have to show up at the right place you have to put yourself in a position to have the experience that you yearn for, that you hope for, if it's ever going to happen. I think faith in God is similar to that, is that you have to show up sometimes. If you never show up in worship, If you never show up in prayer, if you never show up in Bible study, if you never show up to serve others, your chances to experience and trust God are greatly diminished. The challenge for us and even more of our friends is to so order our lives that we make time to show up. Oh, we have people to do it. Some of you show up every week. Some in this choir show up here every week. Some in our television and live streaming audience show up every week. It can be done, but it appears to become ever more difficult for us in this day and age to order our lives in such a way that we can simply show up, that we can be in the right place At the right time there's so many things that demand our time if we're in school this time of year more tests more studying maybe a year-end project or at work maybe a project that has to be done before you're leaving for christmas or maybe you're ready to travel and you have to get some things in order at home Or maybe there are people coming to your home and you have to get things in order there and cleaned up and straightened up so you'll be ready to receive the guest. So many things can take our time. So I want to invite you to think about it and see if you have made time to worship on Christmas Eve or to be here on Christmas morning this week or for many of you, you're thinking, oh, I've already got that scheduled. I have that plan. I'm going to be here. So maybe for you, the challenge is this. Find someone to whom you could extend an invitation to join us for worship at Boston Avenue. You might know a family with children that would love the service of the bells. Two o'clock, you could invite them to come and be a part of that on Saturday Maybe 4 or 6 o'clock works better for them. Or perhaps you know someone that you think that candlelight communion service at 11 that lets out at midnight, maybe that would be a perfect one to invite someone to. Or maybe you know a family that would like to join us for brunch on Christmas Sunday morning and then be here at 11 for worship. Such a rare Sunday to be able to celebrate Christmas on a Sunday. Maybe there's someone you know that you can invite. It is a way to help people believe that they can hope in God. That they can trust in God. It's a way to help others draw nearer to God. Because the story suggests that they're not going to find it on the evening news They're not going to find it at the party. They're not going to find it in some limelight story being highlighted. The story suggests that they'll find it when they recognize that there is a young woman about to have a child, and he shall be God with us. Amen. And thanks be to God.